Welcome to the Buff Show on this very special day in American history, the 20th anniversary since the attacks on 9-11. We are going to be diving into the why, who, and what to expect in the future. There's a lot we want to uncover today, so I'm bringing on Buff Show sponsor, Buff Show contributor, and Buff Show excellent friend, Ron Perry. Great to see you, Ron, on this very special day. Matt, it's good to see you as well. And yeah, this is a very special day with a, a lot of memories. Um, some of them good, a lot of them very bad. That's why I use the term special. Special because it's something you want to never forget that happened. You want to stay vigilant and you want to honor the people that we lost, but also plan for the future. It's a very special event, like you said, with many sad connotations to it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I recall well that morning uh, I was at work, and I suspect everybody listening, or almost everybody listening, remembers that moment in time if they're old enough. Um, you know, I was at work, and somebody came in and said, uh, hey, a plane just uh, hit one of the towers. And we went next door to a little deli, and they had a uh, black and white television with of rabbit air antennas with bad reception. And in the midst of that, we could see what was going on and then look on horrified as a second plane hit the building. Because before that second plane hit, it wasn't clear whether this was an accident or a terrorist action. But once it did hit, then it was very obvious uh, what had happened uh, when the second one hit. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it was just, uh, uh, bad news. And I remembered the 93 attack when they had a, a bomb in there, um, when uh, Sheikh uh, Rahman, uh, you know, architected that. I had a lot of friends who worked at the towers. I had friends, uh, I'd been there many times myself. It's just hard to imagine a plane hitting it. It is. Um, for me, I'll never forget that day. We were working at a call center in Kansas. And at that time, we didn't have Zoom and cell phones and all that stuff where you can connect really easy like we are on the show. But what they have is um, a call center that connects like J.P. Morgan Chase to other potential clients and stuff like that. And we had a bunch of calls connected to the Trade Center on the morning of 9-11. And then all the calls went dead and we couldn't figure out what happened. We were trying to call them back. Nothing. We tried to get online to see what happened. And back then, you know, with the internet being the way it was, it was very difficult to get online when everybody in the country was on the same site, going to the same place. We go outside and look at all these planes turning around for the longest time. We didn't know what happened. And then we finally figured it out that people we were talking to, had perished in the World Trade Center. And when we look at these situations, everybody, just like you said at the top there, Ron, everybody knows where they are and have some sort of connection to this. You and I were talking about people you knew that were working yeah. in the World Trade Center. Yeah. I, I mean, I at that time, I was not living in Florida as I am now. I was living in northern New Jersey. I uh, used to go into New York City regularly. On occasion, had meetings uh, there in the towers. Uh, and it was a, a, a grand um, building, actually two grand buildings. Um, I had friends who worked on the upper floors, uh, some who died. 
the uh, I had friends who were on United 93. One, one of my friends actually taught a Bible study up there, I think on the 101st uh, floor of one of the towers. And the day before, they had been talking about dying and had discussed amongst themselves if they were ready to die, you know, if they were ready to go and meet the Lord. And only two of the guys said, yeah, uh, I, I think I, I'm ready. Those were the two guys who perished in the attack. Um, I had uh, a, a very good friend when I was pastoring uh, back uh, in the um, in the 80s. He was the first person who really committed his life to the Lord while I was there at, uh, at that church. I discipled him. I spent a lot of time with him. He had, had been going through a very difficult divorce. And then a few years later, I performed the wedding ceremony when he married this wonderful woman with uh, three young uh, little girls. Um, he uh, helped me when I started my business. Um, you know, as, as you know, Matt, I started a business really to fund the ministries I was involved with so I could minister to people who were outside the church. Um, and uh, he was a businessman, ran a good-sized company in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, and uh, I, I just, um, he helped me in getting my business started. Uh, and then I got the news that he and his wife had been on United 93. They were set to be on a later flight to San Francisco, but got to the airport early. And they were offered the opportunity to take the earlier flight, which was practically empty. The flight they were on was overbooked. And so they took it and they were in first class. Uh, and I can imagine him. His name was Don, Don Peterson, and his wife, Jean. And I can imagine him there because he had a favorite saying. He was very optimistic, very positive. He would cock his head a little bit and just say, let's do it. And I know Todd Beamer said, let's roll. I can imagine Don being there and just saying, let's do it. Probably not with a smile on his face, but just uh, um, they were they were going to go forward and do it. And you, it's interesting. I was looking at um, Wikipedia on United 93, and they actually have a uh, chronology of the phone calls uh, because they were able to make phone calls, mostly on the satellite phone that was on board the plane. You may recall in those days, uh, aircraft had uh, uh, phones right there by the seats, and then a couple were cell phones. When they were low enough, they were able to make cell phone calls. And so you can track what happened on board. And those people were heroes. I mean, that was just a, a phenomenal thing because otherwise uh, the Capitol building would have been attacked. Imagine what that would have done to our government, but imagine how many hundreds and possibly thousands of lives would have been lost in the Capitol. Every year I share the Todd Beamer Let's Roll uh, photo. For 20 years, that has been just so inspiring to me, Ron, and to so many people. When, when you just put yourself in that picture where you see these Islamic terrorists there wanting to take over a plane, and then you, find, you see some Americans that want to put a stop to it. And when he said Let's Roll, he knew he was going to die soon. There was some pre-planning there that you can imagine. 
Like, hey, if we take these guys, does anybody know how to fly a plane? I bet there was yeah. questions like that. You know what I'm saying? When yeah. they found out that there was no other option but to take these guys out and crash the plane, to sit there and still have that much confidence and say, let's roll. That is the most one of the most selfish, selfish acts I've seen in America in the last 20 years. And it's just a brilliant display. And that little term right there has led to so many books about and without even maybe knowing it about how to overcome adversity, put yourself out there. I mean, that was the perfect example of that. And that is one a story out of many that talk about the American exceptionalism and the pride and the honor that people like Todd Beamer had and others all around the country that day. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question. I mean, the, the, that was out-and-out out heroism. They knew that they would likely die, and they knew that the plane was going to be headed towards Washington. Um, they had they were speaking to loved ones on their phones, and um, you know they were told about the planes that had hit the towers. Um, and I think they may have heard as well that a plane had hit the Pentagon. So they knew that it wasn't intended that they would be blown up on the plane. Early on, they thought it was just uh, that they were hostages. And that is what the, uh, uh, the, the, the um, uh, pilot uh, had, the terrorist pilot had said to them, uh, you know, just uh, keep calm, stay in your seats. Um, and you'll be fine. And so they understood this was a flight uh, to eternity. And they took the appropriate actions. I mean, it's phenomenal what they did. It's it was it was absolutely phenomenal. And we have other stories that I've been watching every year. I, I just dive into this. And this year. They're showing a lot more documentaries. There was a special on just the phone calls. When you were talking about the phone calls in chronological order, um, they made basically a show about that. And while they were showing, and this was not um, Flight 93 like you talked about on Wikipedia, but this was in Tower 2 mm -hmm. and Tower 1 of the World Trade Center. And one girl, she was just there. Um, I think she was 30 years old, just there to clean out her desk because she got a promotion to California. Another guy was moving and was called in. And these people were on the phone telling the news stations what was happening. And the video showed where they were in the tower at that time. And it was just amazing how calm a lot of these people were. The panic wasn't there getting out of the room. The heat was blazing down on them. The debris was falling. And you heard a, you heard a voice that, their friends and family never heard before, but you didn't feel the panic. There was a sense of calm over every single phone call I heard. Phenomenal. Yeah, it's incredible what happened. And of course, the boats that were there to get people um, out of uh, that whole area, um, you know, and uh, it's just phenomenal uh, what occurred. What we're going to do is go to break real quick here on the Buff Show, and then we want to do something that you're not hearing anywhere else. We're going to dive into why this happened and where it came from. We'll be right back right here 
on The Buff Show. A boring website can make your company look really bad. <sighs> Poor rankings on Google, Yahoo, and Bing means your company does not exist to thousands of monthly searchers. I'm not even on the front page. Come out of hiding with JJC Marketing Solutions and get found to more and more new customers every day. At JJC Marketing Solutions, they offer state-of-the-art website creation, Google SEO, PPC campaigns, and social media marketing that makes your company stand out. No need to go with those national companies that only care about you on the first call. JJC Marketing is located right here in Sanford, and the goal is to help businesses like yours succeed. Get better results. Call 321-765-7710 or visit them at jjcmarketingsolutions.com. I'm somebody now! JJC Marketing Solutions. Welcome back to the Buff Show on this 9-11 in focus special that we are doing today. Matt Buff with you. There's Ron Perry right there. Great to have you with me on this day. Could have think of nobody better to talk about this because you had so many personal connections. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, you know, I I, um, uh, I think it is underappreciated how fortunate we were on 9-11. Uh, I, I was actually there in um, uh, really at, at the towers or what was left of the towers at ground zero, December 7th. I was changing planes on my way to go to Europe. Uh, and uh, when I handed my passport uh, to the uh, agent at the gate, uh, she said, don't you have a recent passport that's not expired? I said, that one's not expired. She said, yes, it expired yesterday. And so I wound up stuck in New York for one day. And during that day, I had the opportunity to go over and walk all around Grout Zero. And uh, the, the rubbish, the, 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 the chaos, it was still there. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, the pile uh, uh, was, boy, maybe about six to 10 stories high still um, with chain link fencing all around and little notes uh, and big notes and posters. Things from kids in Iowa, first grade class in Iowa, uh, pictures of people who had, um, uh, in all likelihood, perished in the towers. And uh, there were um, missionaries there actually praying with people. Uh, there were people just crying. This is three months later, walking around, seeing what was there. And as I was standing there, um, a fellow came up beside me. He also was in a business suit and we started talking. He was a vice president from Verizon. And he said, Ron, you don't realize, and he said, nobody realizes how close we were to losing our country. He said, the um, stock market was down. All communications here in uh, the southern part of New York City were down. And he said, we were desperately trying to get it back up so that we could get back to normal trading on the market um, so that uh, we could have financial transactions in this country. And he said, we had just a few days to get that up. You know, it, was, it happened on a Friday, and I think they were trying to get it back up by Tuesday. And absolute impossibility, because all the communications lines had been destroyed. And he said, you know, everybody worked together, the unions, he said, the city, uh, he said, all the bureaucrats worked with us. He said, all of the tradesmen, uh, he said, the different companies, the competitors and everything, everybody worked together towards one common goal. 
and that was to get the stock market up and running for a normal opening. And um, they were able to do that. He said the way we did it was we ran cables 10 feet, 12 feet, 20 feet off the ground from building to building. He said we did everything just based on what do we have to do in order to get this back and operational. And they worked around the clock. And that's a story I don't think it's really been told. Um, but uh, can you imagine the panic if you couldn't get money out of your bank, if you couldn't um, uh, sell your stocks, if you couldn't um, uh, get you know, the regular uh, monthly payments you might have gotten if you were a retiree from investments that you had, um, I mean, it would have been a, a total disaster. That was the, the big attack was on not just the people yeah. of America and the symbol, it was the big attack on the financial institution. They were trying to wreck the financial system of America. And that's exactly what happened. I want to talk about this because you sent over this uh, fantastic PowerPoint and I converted it so we can go through some of that here today. And the reason I specifically was intrigued by it is because of that uh, Muslim school board situation where the Muslim was telling kids in a school not to call the, the Muslim terrorists terrorists or Muslims. They called them extremists. And when you want to call somebody an extremist, that means you're saying they're crazy. And it's the great diversion that happens a lot of times by just changing the name. You know what I'm saying? Just changing the terminology. And erasing the history of what happened, just like the statues coming down, erasing the history of what happened, not only is detrimental, but they're trying to save face. Just like when Elon Omar said some people did something, dismissing it makes the problem worse, Ron. Oh, I don't think there's any There's a clear evidence of jihad. Uh, this is the result of jihad. Now, a lot of people don't understand what jihad is. Um, and frankly, I did not either on September 11th, 2001. But having lost friends in the towers, lost friends on United 93, I wanted to find out why people would do this. What was the role of their religion in what they did? And the thing that actually mystified me was the fact that um, you had, the, actually, I think it was probably all of the hijackers, but certainly most of them who drank heavily in bars, who slept with prostitutes, who watched strip shows uh, while they were here in America uh, in the months and years prior uh, to this attack. And uh, I thought uh, it was particularly interesting uh, what the mayor of Patterson, New Jersey, had to say. He knew several of these uh, attackers, and he said nobody ever saw them at mosques, but they liked to go to the go-go clubs. Uh, Muhammad Atta and others uh, spent the days before going to places like the Pink Pony, a Daytona Beach, Florida strip club. Atta and another one uh, were seen at Sunrise 251, a uh, bar down in Palm Beach, Florida, a couple of weeks prior. They spent $1,000 and 45 minutes on Krug and Perrier Jouet champagne. 
and he was with a tall, busty brunette in her late 20s. The other guy was with a shortish blonde. That's what the reporting was of people who were there. And both women were known as regular companions of high rollers. These guys had lots of money, and they spent it uh, on uh, leading a very debauched lifestyle. Okay, so how do you go from people like that, young guys like that, um, to 19 guys who get up in the morning on September 11th, they shave themselves head to foot, they tuck their Korans under their arms, and they go to perform a ritual sacrifice to please their God, Allah, thinking that this is the most wonderful thing they've ever done in their lives. How does that happen? It makes no sense. Well, I believe you have to see this as a cosmic event. There's a scripture in Ephesians 6 that says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, there is this battle behind the scenes we don't see, and what is getting played out is a battle between good and evil, between God and evil, God and Satan. And I, you know, there, there's pictures, and I don't know if you're able to put this up, uh, Matt, on the screen, but if you can, take a look at this picture uh, from the Associated Press of the side of the building, side of one of the towers. Do you see a face there? A demonic-looking face, a devilish face, a satanic face? Well, you might think, you know, this was just taken, and he just happened to cap capture this, and this is just a photographic effect. Um, yeah. But about 10 or 15 minutes later, an amateur photographer took a picture. Take a look at this. Yeah, okay, for, those, yeah for those listening on the radio, go to thebuffshow.com slash Facebook. I'm sorry, facebook.com slash thebuffshoworlando. You can see the presentation that we're doing here. Um, the first one, a lot of you have seen this out there where it looked like a demonic face in the side of the building. Lot, everybody has seen that, and I want you to take a good, hard look at that. And then, Ron, we just put another one up here, too, that's almost more dastardly. Like I said, you guys can catch this show on thebuffshow.com, the video version. I know you're driving around listening to this special right now, but we do have the video for you. But for those of you online with us right now, you can see this second one. Ron, I'll be honest with you. This one I haven't seen as much as I saw the one before. That's probably because it was CNN. <laughs> well, that's where it was. Yeah, I see <laughs> that. Taken from a CNN photographer. But let me describe this. It looks like glowing yellow eyes. This is out of the billowing, billowing smoke of the World Trade Center. It looks like glowing yellow eyes and a very sharp-featured face in the smoke right there. It's very distinct, very creepy looking, and it was caught in an instant by a CNN photographer, and they said, let's not show this one as much. Yeah, but then after everything was done, the towers were down, and um, there was one thing left standing, and here's another image. So you have images, well, it's burning, that are satanic, and then you have an image of an upright cross. Uh, people that, don't uh, realize, Ron, that that was actually left that way. 
No, that that is not a man-made scenario. That's after the buildings came down. That was found. It's not like they put it together. It was found that way. And so, you know, as I look at that, I say that is God leaving a symbolic indication that he's in charge. It will be okay. Everything is going to be fine. Um, but now as I started investigating this, I had to find out, okay, what is Islam? Uh, tell me a little bit about Muhammad and so on, you know, uh, as, as I went through my studies. And, um, uh, you know, Muhammad really, uh, is, he lived, well, he, he, he got revelations from God, he believed, from Allah, and God and Allah are not the same, um, in uh, 610 A.D., He's meditating in a cave in Mecca. He was born in Mecca. And um, uh, he believed that it was the angel Gabriel speaking to him, the same angel that appeared to Mary, the same angel that appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament. And he wrote these things down. And that is what the Quran is. And then... Ron, let's, let's keep it right there for a second and dive into this more in the next segment. Sounds great. Because... I love how you just said right there, that's where the Quran came from. Let's take it from there when we come right back, right here on The Buff Show. Veritas Tactical, Tactical. a family and law enforcement-owned company where you can get custom-built ARs with purpose-built precision. They have a full line of handguns like Glock, Sig Sauer, Smith & Wesson, and get your everyday carry items and accessories. Moreover, they are your liberty-safe dealer. Need training? Veritas Tactical has all you need from getting your CCW to advanced tactical courses, female survival courses, and force-on-force scenarios. Veritas Tactical has a full-time gunsmith on site, Coding services, laser engraving and more mention the buff show and get a 25 dollars discount on courses you'll find veritas tactical at 207 north goldenrod road suite 200 in orlando contact veritas tactical 407-309-3000 407-309-3000 and at veritas tactical.com veritas tactical welcome back to the buff show on this 9-11 special matt buff right here ron perry with me as well ron we're rolling along i'm just going to pop this back up so we can talk about it some more in the last segment we finished on the birth of islam and where it came from and so what's amazing about this is you're about to get into the six pillars just like joe biden did when he was talking about the six pillars of covid But talk more about um, where Muhammad got all of this. I mean, with the virgins and the, I mean, just, it's just remarkable, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, um, the Quran itself um, claims to be uh, the angel Gabriel speaking to Muhammad and he recorded what Gabriel had to say. That's the Quran. They have another group of writings called the Hadith. And the Hadith is um, uh, things that were written by wives, by friends, uh, some even more recently. Uh, And um, uh, Sunnis accept the Hadith as authoritative. Shiites uh, accept most of it, though not all of it. Uh, That's the source for some of the disagreement between those two groups. Um, and then the laws of Islam are called the Sharia laws. And that's those are things like if somebody steals, you cut their hands off. Um, 
You know, now, I mean, Sharia, Sharia, most people are familiar with the term Sharia. So this is good. We're talking about it because maybe they don't know the original tenets. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's it is a seventh century approach to dealing with uh, with crime, seventh century approach to dealing with day to day living. Um, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's pretty tough, dramatically different from what you read in the Bible. Um and, um, you know, where the goal is justice and our whole justice system goes back to biblical principles. When I was dealing with businesses in the Middle East, they dealt based on Sharia law. And that has things in it like you can't charge interest. Um, and, uh, you know, imagine how businesses work without charging. Well, they have a workaround, um, you know, but uh, there are any number of different things in Sharia law. Um, now. The Sharia law, it's not specific books. It's rather this whole body of literature. But what's important is the pathway that they have for um, salvation, for getting to paradise, which for them would be their salvation. There are five pillars, the five pillars of Islam. One is this declaration of faith where they would say there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Another would be an obligatory prayer five times a day facing Mecca. And, uh, you know, practically speaking, the only way you could do that is if they had prayer rooms in every building. Well, they, you go to the Middle East and they have prayer rooms in pretty much every building, every office building, every school, every airport. There are prayer rooms. Typically, they're outside the restrooms. And you'll see all the shoes lined up because people will uh, take off their shoes when they go in and then they are there for relatively few minutes, and then they're out. I would be having uh, lunch or dinner with someone, and, uh, uh, you know, they, it might be a sheikh who is wearing, you know, the full garb, uh, the white robes and uh, the uh, headdress and so on, and they would excuse themselves when prayer time came. Um, I remember one time I was in Bahrain, and I was – uh, right near the airport. So I was walking back to the airport and it was prayer time and all of the speakers came to life and you could hear uh, the Arabic call to prayer. But that was necessary five times a day. And then giving alms. And it's not the same as giving would be in a Christian or a Jewish context. Um, rather, it was the idea that you were obliged once a year uh, to give alms uh, for the poor that would then get distributed to the poor and really more of a tax uh, than it was some type of a voluntary gift. And then there was fasting during Ramadan. And from a practical standpoint, what they do is they fast during the day and then they feast at night. So they'll have big banquets at night and so on. And at the hotels and motels and places like Dubai or well, pretty much wherever you are in the Middle East, they'll put screens in front of the restaurant so that uh, uh, non-Muslims uh, who are eating and not um, celebrating Ramadan, not fasting, uh, will be hidden from the view of the Muslims who are walking through a hotel lobby or wherever. Um, and, and in many cases, the restaurants will just be closed. They are at least closed until dinner time, And then the fast is broken at dinner time for that whole month. And then once in a person's lifetime, they need to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. And that's typically a five-day ritual. 
Uh, and so those five things, if you do them, you may, if you're a Muslim, get to paradise. But there are no guarantees. Paradise has to be earned. Uh, Allah is has the personality of an oriental despot. Uh, and there's no assurance of salvation. Uh, there is soul sleep at death. In other words, the person is uh, unconscious, unaware when they die until judgment when they are raised from the dead at resurrection day. And what you'll find is that Islam contains um, elements of Judaism and Christianity within it because it was written 600 years later. Uh, and um, it contains, uh, for example, it contains the story of the virgin birth of Jesus. Jesus is never spoken of negatively. In fact, you can actually share the Christian gospel with a Muslim using the Quran and the verses that appear there that are almost identical, though not precisely, to, um, to the biblical account. Now, the biblical account related to Abraham sacrificing his son, uh, in the Bible, it is his son Isaac, who is the progenitor of all of the Jews. Um, in uh, the Quran, written 600 years later, it is Ishmael, Isaac's brother, and all of the Arabs descend from Ishmael. Okay, so there are, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting book, but I, my main concern was how can this book and what these people believe result in such great destruction? And particularly right. destruction where they believe they are doing the will of Allah. Uh, so um, there's no guarantee of getting to heaven, but the basis for the destruction, I believe, comes from the loophole. There is a way that you can guarantee absolutely that you are going to paradise, and that is die in a jihad against the enemies of Allah. Now, the word jihad means struggle, and so you have the secular and the traditional um, Muslims who would take that really more in a figurative sense. But a fundamentalist takes that very literally. And that is, and let me read to you from Surah 839. That's like Bible in verse or chapter in verse uh, in the Bible. Jihad is fighting anybody who stands in the way of spreading Islam. That's a direct quote. Or fighting anyone who refuses to enter into Islam. Direct quote. Surah 839. Um, and if you die in that situation, you are guaranteed immediate entrance into paradise. And in such a case, death is like a pinch. So virtually no pain in death. Okay, so those 19 men boarded those flights, and the destination originally may have been um, Washington, or it may have been um, uh, San Francisco, or it may have been Boston, or it may have been anywhere else in the country or in the world. But in their minds, their destination was paradise. They were getting on board the Paradise Express, and all they had to do was take control of that plane and crash it uh, and kill people who they viewed as the enemies of Allah. 
and their salvation, which for them meant paradise, was guaranteed. And paradise was 72 virgins. You've heard that. That's true. That's what it's taught. Now, I'm not saying it's true that that is what paradise is, but that is what is taught. Uh, and so, in essence, what you have is they are to deny themselves everything in this life, like alcohol, like, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, well, any number of different things, but then they will get them in the next. So the women are, are veiled. Um, you know, there's an aspect to which sexuality is hidden. And yet what we already saw as we talked before was these 19 guys were oversexed. I mean, this that was so key in their lives. But now jihad, to understand it better, is a contract between Allah and the Muslim. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, by the way, on the screen, this is important. What about the Quran's nice verses? Well, the Quran is filled with contradictions. And, um, uh, you know, there are nice verses. There are verses where Christians are spoken of well. There are verses where Christians are condemned. Uh, there are verses where um, the, the, the Muslim is told to stop drinking uh, whenever they're at the mosque, but they can drink other than at the mosque. Uh, and um, um, then there are other verses that say don't drink at all. Um, there are verses that say women should not wear the hijab. Uh, others, the women are commanded to wear a hijab. And so this really is... Um, confusing, I think, to an outsider. But um, what you see is that the, the contradictions are such that they had to come up with a theological justification for these contradictions. And what they did was they said, um, the later verses overwrite the earlier verses. Now, Muhammad uh, was born in Mecca, lived in Mecca for uh, uh, the early years of his life. And while he was in Mecca, he was a Gandhi-like figure, and that was his approach. He was a man of peace. Uh, they would spit on him. They would beat him. They would do any number of different things. And he did not in any way attempt to get back at them. Then he went to Medina. He raised an army. He was involved in commanding 57 different battles, uh, and amongst those were those against the people in Mecca. Uh, and the early verses when he was in Mecca are verses of peace. The later verses are um, were, were uh, actually verses that were far more virulent, far more warlike, and the verses that give you jihad and so on. So and that's... That's the um, Islamics. That's what I call them, the fundamentalists yes. in the Middle East. And we're going to take a break. We got one more segment to go here with Ron breaking this down. It's very interesting to hear where this came from. And now after the break, we're going to be talking about the contradiction and the different kind of Muslims you see out there. Stay with us right here 
on the Buff Show. Since 2012, Cellulartronics has been providing Central Florida with the best phone repair and electronics repair. We fix all electronics from iPhone, Samsung, Sony, and many more. We also do TV repair and fix your tablets. Right now, you can get a glass back cover for the iPhone 8 to an iPhone X for only $95. iPhone 11 and up, back covers are only $120. We have two locations to serve you in Sanford and DeBerry. Visit Cellulartronics.com or call Call 407-302-3396. That's Cellulartronics.com or 407-302-3396. Welcome back to The Buff Show. Heading into this final segment on this 9-11 special. We're breaking down Islam, where all this came from, how they're getting more fundamental, and what's happening next. Ron Perry joining me back here in studio. Ron, it's been a great discussion um, I really appreciate you sending over this outline because we're going to put this whole thing on the buffshow.com so people can go through it themselves. We're skimming over it because of time related issues on the show, but we, we left the break there talking about Islam's ultimate goal and what they should be um, achieving and how they do it. It's just converting everybody to Islam by any means necessary, right, Ron? <laughs> Well, in, in essence, uh, yeah, I mean, conversion um, can be forced. And you know that there are people right now who are dealing with the Taliban who are being given the option to convert or to die. And uh, uh, it's, it's tragic when we see what's going on. Um, you know, by the way, I should uh, make sure that people understand that not all Muslims buy into the whole jihadist strategy for some. In fact, I would say for many, uh, the more secular Muslims and the traditional Muslims, they view it really more as a personal struggle. And they believe in the nice parts of the Quran. Um, they reject the call to jihad. Um, they, 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 you know, the traditional Muslims will practice Islam, but they also reject jihad. And they really just, uh, they, they live in the world. Um, but then you have fundamentalists who wind up taking everything completely, literally, and they take this law of Nasik, you know, overwritten, where the earlier nicer verses are ignored. They're overwritten. It's as if they never happened. Um, and that is the militaristic religion and the goal of Islam. And so, uh, Matt, put up that screen on the Islam's ultimate goal, if you would. It is that Allah is the only authority in a country, the only religion, the only political power. And Muslims engage in jihad um, and only succeed when there is a theocracy. Okay, in other words, yeah. when there is an Allah-run society. Afghanistan, that's what the Taliban wants. Iran, Sudan, ISIS slash ISIL. By the way, ISIL, it's interesting. The L there is for Levant. You know, it's not Iraq, Syria. It's in addition to those, it's the Levant. Now, what is the Levant? The Levant um, is an old Latin word for the eastern part of the Mediterranean where the sun rises, the Levant. And, and just like um, ISIS just like ISIS-K is for Khorasan, similar situation there. Yeah, and so uh, they, when, when uh, 
Barack Obama always used to call them ISIL, and the entire administration referred to them as ISIL. It was really acknowledging that they had control of the entire eastern half of the Mediterranean, Turkey, uh, down through Lebanon, Israel, uh, Syria, uh, into Egypt, and so on. And so it was just, it was a political way of saying, um, yeah, okay, we acknowledge uh, the authority of Islam over those areas. Uh, anyway, um, these theocracies, the attempt to build the caliphate and so on, continues on. And now let's take a look at what's happened with the strategy, because it's changed over the past um, two decades. So um, the, the strategy for many, many, many years was that Islamic fundamentalists would work to control secular Muslim governments. So they accepted secular governments in Egypt and uh, the Shah of Iran and so on. Um, and so Algeria, Egypt, Syria, Turkey, Malaysia, Saudi Arabia, and other places, they could have uh, secular or somewhat secular governments. But then they started attacking the West directly. So, well, you know, prior to that, we were just kind of on the sidelines. But then they started attacking the West. And you had Sheikh Omar Abdul Rahman. He changed the focus, the blind Sheikh. He is the guy, Ramsey Yosef, you know, some of the other names, um, who uh, were involved with the World Trade Center attack in 1993. Now, one thing about that World Trade Center attack that most people don't realize, uh, it almost succeeded. Their goal was the destruction of the economic power of the United States, which they felt was centered on Wall Street, and to a large degree it is. They thought they would be able to topple the building. My father uh, uh, was a structural engineer. When he found out the details of where they had parked the truck, you know, they blew up three floors, big hole in three floors under the building, but the building stood. Uh, when he heard where they parked the truck, he said, you know, if they had put it close to any one of the corners, that building would have collapsed. Oh, wow. It was a very controversial uh, design for the two towers. And uh, uh, engineers argued about it. Others did as well. And there was a fragility to it because it was suspended by the, first, by the four corners and damaged any one, and the uh, building was no longer stable. Um, and so that was an attempt that came close to occurring, um, you know, uh, uh, close to being successful. So that's where they started attacking the West. And then when uh, we responded, went into Iraq and the rest, began to reverse the tide in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, it was at that point uh, that uh, they were receding. We were winning, if you can call it that. Uh, we were um, controlling what was going on. We were fighting the battle there instead of here. And then we withdrew from Iraq and we withdrew in a fashion not too dissimilar from what we've just done from Afghanistan, although nowhere near as disastrous. Um, but they took advantage of that American withdrawal, and you had the Arab Spring in Libya, Syria, Egypt, much of Africa, Iraq, 
um, where they then began taking control of Arab governments without America getting in the way. And then now what we see is they've been pursuing this ultimate goal of a caliphate. A caliphate really is a theocracy, and um, the goal is one world theocracy, but instead you have multiple individuals starting uh, caliphates. And um, I'll, I'll share something interesting with you with regards to that first World Trade Center attack. Lori Milroy, who was an advisor uh, to uh, uh, President Bill Clinton, wrote a book called Study of Revenge. And um, in that book, this was written uh, about, I think it was released about six or nine months prior to the September uh, 11th, 2001 attack. She talks about the fact that we had so embarrassed Saddam Hussein in Desert Storm that he was plotting to get back at us, but it would be an asymmetric attack. And she talked in there about the prospect of, uh, she didn't quite use planes in the buildings, but many other similar types of asymmetric attacks because he knew that he could not get back to us uh, with an, uh, a military on the field of battle. And so you had people in the administration who were already primed to the fact that there was going to be an asymmetric attack. And then it came. Um, they, they, um, uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's not totally irrational that they would think that Saddam Hussein was, uh, was behind it. But in any event, um, if you consider now the impact of Islam on its own people, and for a moment, Let's focus just on the women, you know, and perhaps you've seen them um, here where they're completely covered in black veils with just a little slit for their eyes. Um, and of course, if you go over uh, to the Middle East or other Islamic uh, countries outside that region, you'll see this. And I can remember initially when I saw somebody here in America and I thought, well, my first thought was, well, that's strange. They really don't belong here. They're foreigners. And now I think very differently. When you find out what it's like for the women and the children too, but the women in particular, to live under Sharia law, you have to just pity them and you have to pray for them. Um, what they live is a, a 21st century form of slavery. Women are property. Yeah. Um, a man can be married to four women, and uh, you know some Muslims will say five. And uh, I know there was one fellow who was telling me that uh, uh, they can have five wives in country, and then as as many um, mistresses outside of the country as they would like. Um, women um, uh, can um, uh, inherit only half of what a man. Uh, can inherit. A woman cannot file for divorce. Only a man can file for divorce. A woman can marry only one man. Uh, in in many of the Middle Eastern countries, women can't answer the door if their husband is not present. Uh, they're supposed to be covered so that only a male family member can see a woman's face. That's um, in Surah chapter 33, verse 55. Women are supposed to stay in their houses, according to 
uh, verse 33 of that same chapter. And if a wife refuses sexual relations, husband, uh, husband is permitted to physically beat her until she submits. And that's Surah 434. You've heard it's about interesting. and so on. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting when you hear the Biden administration say, we're talking to the Taliban about treating their women better. That's just speak. That's just talking because there is no telling these people how to act. And the way they treat women is very submissive. Even in when we were talking about the different types of Muslims, it's always the same. Um, I've been to the airport, and when you talk about the uh, progressive Muslims, basically, I still see the man doing things like in Christianity, we open a car door for a woman, and there the woman's opening the car door for a man, basically kind of thing, and he always goes first. So we see that all the time. Um, we got to talk. We got just a minute left. Ron, talk about where all this leads to, because with the Taliban yeah. takeover in Afghanistan, it seems like, and I just flashed a bunch of pictures on the screen about how in Afghanistan a long time ago, in the 60s, it looked like San Diego. <laughs> yeah, and now they're right. getting back to more of a fundamental thing, and Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. Where does this lead to on the 20th of 9-11 here? Okay, so two you know, things. Number one, they're not going to stop uh, uh, jihad. That is the strategy, and they are not going to stop attacking the West. That will happen, uh, and we have weakened ourselves massively. Number two, um, ultimately, God wins. Okay, the fastest-growing church in the world is in Iran right now, and um, there's, there's, if, if you haven't seen it, take a look at on YouTube, sheep among wolves, yes. uh, number two. Okay. Uh, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran, no property, no money. Um, you know, they, no budgets, uh, uh, no formal structure and it's just growing. And the greatest evangelists there, according to the people there in Iran, the Christians there in Iran, the greatest evangelist uh, has been Ayatollah Khomeini because he has made them see what Islam is really all about when you practice it the way it's described in the Quran, and they have rejected it. And it yes. is a frightening existence. Pray for them. Absolutely. We're going to finish with this. What should Christians do? Pray, like Ron just said, Second Chronicles 7.14. Witness and pray for Muslims, especially women and children. Get active in politics. Share shows like this where people can learn more and write your members of Congress and senators. There's a section of people that want to have us destroyed. We have to be vigilant. But for the other ones that are victims, we have to pray. Ron Perry, thank you so much for joining us on The Buff Show. Hey, it's my pleasure. Great to be with you, Matt. All right. That'll wrap this up. We'll see you next time on The Buff Show.